Father, as we come to opening Your Word this morning, we ask, Lord, for Your covering, for Your, your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds, uh, uh, give me the words to, to share that will minister today, and, and that each of us will receive what we need from You in the sense of, of just strengthening our walk and our resolve to walk closer to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Could you be seated, please? Matthew chapter 4, starting with the 18th verse this morning. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. As we get to these verses this morning, just a quick review. Uh, Jesus is establishing His ministry in Galilee. Uh, you recall we talked about Galilee of the Gentiles uh, in the sense that it would be fulfilling a prophecy. People all, you know, initially, and it's amazing how sidetracked we get, why did Jesus' you know, ministry begin in Galilee? Well, first, to fulfill prophecy. I mean, in other words, there's a prophecy that is quoted here in Matthew in the first few verses that comes out of Isaiah chapter 9 that uh, refers to Jesus' And, you know, and, and the, the light coming into uh, the, the area of Galilee of the Gentiles. Called Galilee of the Gentiles uh, because of the influence, really, of the, of the Gentile world on that area of, of, of Jewish people. Uh, they, the the uh, general uh, caravans, I can't think of the, the trade routes, there we go, the, that all for the Middle East and down in through to North Africa, all major ones seem to come right through that Galilean area and then over and down through into North Africa. And so there was a tremendous influence uh, of, of the Gentile world in the sense of, of a more casual atmosphere, if you will, and that could be dangerous. I, I noticed, I remember last week I didn't really talk about it. You know, there's a tendency where you can get too casual. And I'm not suggesting that, the, that the, the Galilee was in that predicament, but there is that tendency sometimes to uh, allow the influence of the, of the outer world, if you will, uh, to, to cause us to be a little bit too laid back. And we want to be cautious with that. But when I say laid back, I mean that they weren't tied to the traditions that the Pharisees were tied to, that the Sadducees were tied to, that they found so prevalent in Jerusalem and in Judea, the, which is the exact opposite of getting, you know, where they got so focused on legalism that, that they were not actually seeking after God. Uh, Jesus' ministry then begins here in, in a sense in a public format. And notice that also we talked about last week, John the Baptist was 
imprisoned at this point in time in in the and he's as he goes to prison Jesus begins to start his what they would call public ministry. In fact, he picks up pretty much where John the Baptist left off and even using the same phrase verse 17 of of chapter 4, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same things that that John the Baptist was teaching. John the Baptist is is in a sense the the the, the closing of an era of of, of prophecy and teaching from the Old Testament as Jesus opens it up into the New Testament and he didn't start until John was done and his imprisonment was the ending of his ministry. The ministry location in general that we talked about uh, and and I would like to add a little bit to that is Galilee and I add to of the Gentiles uh, and the the again fulfilling of Isaiah chapter 9 uh, prophecy there. Specifically, he went to Capernaum, which was one of nine fishing cities or towns along in the Galilean area and, uh, and the Sea of Galilee, and it was the largest. And I, as I already said, fishing was the primary industry. And you see that as we look at this as, as we go through here. Jesus, in both cases, as he's looking at these men that he's calling, are involved in the fishing industry of, of the Sea of Galilee in the Capernaum area. Now, as I said, why here? Certainly first, I think, and foremost is the, the fulfilling of prophecy, but also uh, they weren't as caught up as, the, like I said, as the uh, uh, Jerusalem-Judea area was with what I, I caught a couple of, of different places where it uh, was referred to as religious and state politics. And... Uh, uh, the Sadducees, I don't know what you know about the Sadducees, but the Sadducees were what you might call the liberal party of, of, of the Hebrew people. They did not believe in the miraculous. They did not believe in a hereafter. They, they didn't think in terms of, of the resurrection. You might recall one of the questions uh, that they were asking when they were trying to stump Jesus was, well, if, uh, if a man and a wife uh, are married and, and, the, and the husband dies and the, the brother has to uh, marries the wife and he dies and then another brother and seven brothers ultimately marry the same wife, who's going to be their husband in heaven? Well, what they were trying to, you know, they don't even believe in heaven, so what a ridiculous question in the first place from them. But the idea was trying to, to put him in a situation where Jesus would come up with a, a, an answer that couldn't, you know, solve the, the, or answer the question and put him at odds with at least somebody, trying to discredit his ministry. So that you have the Sadducees in one side. The Pharisees are the exact opposite and, and very legalistic. You had the priests, the Levitical priesthood, which was predominant in the area. And then you also had Rome. And so you had the tremendous politics and stuff going on in that area. Jesus' ministry moves into the Galilean area and a lot less of that going on. Not free of that kind of conflict, but certainly considerably less. But also, you had a, an, another factor that I wanted to, to share with you this morning. Uh, and Jesus was, was moving towards that point where he was letting them, the people see that not only the Jewish people, but the Gentiles are going to be included in the picture of the ministry that, that Jesus was involved in and in the kingdom of God. Recall that he had already talked to the Samaritan woman just prior to this in, uh, time. 
to the Samaritans. He stayed there for, uh, in that area for a couple of days ministering to them. And, and so this is something that would put him at odds immediately with, again, the religious politics and, and, and stuff of Jerusalem and Judea. This choice of location to be his base for his work and his ministry for a lot of the uh, legalistic uh, uh, Jewish population and and especially the leadership uh, was not messianic as far as they were concerned. The Messiah certainly wouldn't do that. He would come to Jerusalem. He would work through Jerusalem. And here Jesus is going to to uh, the Galilean area and and drawing from that area. And and you notice, if you remember uh, the comment, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, the whole idea was, can anything good really come out of of Galilee? That was the way the Jerusalem and Judea area felt about Galilee. So Jesus, starting his, his ministry, his public ministry there, was already putting himself at odds with the leadership of, the, of, the, of the, the Jewish faith. And then today, what we look at and we just read, Jesus' choice of disciples would also put him at odds. He was choosing Galileans, fishermen, common men. Um, possibly, again, looking at it from the, the southern area, the, the Judean area, the country bumpkins. Um, and I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand. There's a lot that's been said about the, 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 the disciples of Jesus being, you know, well, they were uneducated and they, they weren't, you know, they didn't know, how, probably, in fact, I was reading one just this uh, last week, saying they probably didn't know how to, re- some of them didn't know how to read and write. That's not typical of the Hebrew culture. I don't know what, you know, you need to understand. In the Hebrew culture, the men learning to read, why would that be so important to them? Well, knowing their genealogy, being able to read the Scriptures. From a very early age, they were taught to read the Scriptures. They were taught to memorize the Scriptures. The idea of, of having them on their wristbands and, and, and you know, all of this place where they would see them constantly. Um, to share in the ministry in the sense of, of, of worship and, and reading of Scripture in the synagogues, it was, it was extremely important. So Jewish men, especially, did learn how to read. They did know how to write. When it says that they were the regular men or, or the implication of uneducated, means they, they didn't go to the upper-level education process. They weren't the typical people to, to be considered... Uh, uh, that would sit under one of the teachers at the temple or, or, or one of the teachers, uh, you know, one of the, the scribes or, or the, the, you know, that they were basically getting what you might call elementary education. They weren't getting the education of a higher up. And, and so these are not the kind of people you would call to be your representatives of, of, of your ministry. And so again, Jesus is going against the grain of the traditional system that was in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. 
not the typical disciples or students. And these men would be, I want to make sure again that you understand that they would be in good standing, though, within the framework of their synagogue and their faith and their their relationship through their Jewish faith. Another thing that Jesus was going through against in convention, if you will, was that he was choosing his disciples. The way it normally worked was somebody who was striving to to be educated and trained would seek out a teacher and ask if he could be discipled. Jesus was instead doing it the other way around. He was calling and choosing those that he wanted to have as his disciples. Now, when you look at verse 18, while, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Sounds very spontaneous as, the, as he offers the call. However, remember that this is, there's a year of, of gap between what we're seeing here and the baptism of Jesus. And, and there was a time of, of overlap of John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry. And, and John and Andrew and Peter, all of them had met Jesus prior to this. We can go back to uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 35, and, and uh, see... Where this had happened. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And he said to them, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak, and, and referring to John the Baptist, speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus uh, and then Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. It goes on to talk about Philip getting Nathaniel and, and, and others. So Jesus was already having this, had, had an encounter with these men. Uh, and it's interesting, you've got to be careful as you're going through Bible uh, headings that aren't part of the Scripture. You notice here in, 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 in uh, John chapter 1, it says, Jesus calls the first disciples. And then over here where we're reading in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Jesus calls the first disciples. And then we can go to Luke chapter 5 where it says, Jesus calls the first disciples. Which, one were the, which time was it the first time? Okay, he, it's, Either they're trying to just say the, the early disciples in the different situations that they came together in, or, or, or that they're just labeling it simply uh, without much thought. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying, you want to be careful about those kinds of things because... The reality is is that when Jesus sees them in Matthew chapter 4, these are men that he has already walked with extensively. And while I don't want to cut the idea of the spontaneity of it in the sense of 
they immediately picked up and followed him. That's extremely important, and we'll get into that later. But the reality is, is that these men already had a taste of who Jesus is. They were already looking at him. John the Baptist had identified him to them as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which would be a, a picture of the one who is the Messiah. And then you get on to John's ID in him, which we shared last week again in John, in John chapter 3, where he point blank says, this is, his ministry needs to increase, mine needs to decrease. During this early stage of, of Jesus' ministry, it's obvious that the disciples, those that were coming to follow and, and, and go out, you know, listen to his teaching and, and be a part of his ministry, were also, I guess you might say, bivocational. They were going to see him, but they were also back here at this point, a year later, still fishing. And even after this, we find them again still fishing in Luke chapter 5. Now, some people say that Luke chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 4 are the same incident, but uh, I want you to listen to it and see if you can catch the differences. We just read the, the Luke chapter 4 part. He, he comes by the sea and, and he sees them. What is uh, Peter and his brother doing? They're, they're casting their net. The other brothers are mending their nets. Okay, And he says, come and follow me. Now listen to this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of, of Gennesaret, which would be the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and looked, took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. That already tells you some familiarity here. You, you know, we're, I'm taking you at your word. You, you know, I'll let down my nets. And when they had done this, they include, enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This left everything is a different time and point yet. And I was trying to put this together in such a way, and, and I have to say, getting to some things that John MacArthur wrote really helped me. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it in, in my own way of looking at it, but Clearly, Jesus, first off, here at this, this juncture in, in, in Luke chapter 5, is letting them know really who's in charge of things. I mean, these are experienced fishermen. They already said there's no catch out there today. We've been out there, done that, and, and, and it's outside the time of normal fishing now. Okay, but, well, okay, Jesus, we'll, we'll do it. 
And they did it, and they bring in this catch like they have never had before. Who's in control of even the fish of the Sea of Galilee? Jesus. And Peter saw that. That's why he fell down and said what he said. He realized, this guy has got the authority. He is who, who John the Baptist said he is. He is the man, as I met him there in, in, back earlier, and, and all that's been going on, he is the one. Obviously, this is a different meeting than the one in Matthew chapter 4. And I agree with, with uh, those in, uh, that, and John MacArthur and others that say this is a subsequent meeting. In other words, a meeting afterwards. And again, Jesus showing them, you know, he's the one in charge. What, what I want you to get and understand here is the kind of an idea of a progressive way that God relates to us. And I don't mean progressive liberal. Make sure you understand that. Progressive in the sense of, of building on things. Think of your own call. I'll, I'll, think, I'll just use mine. The first thing that God opened my eyes to was, was the gospel in a sense of a way I'd never seen it before. I had come to the conclusion that there was no need for the gospel. Not because that they were, were, were anything evil or anything, but they just said what a lot of other good teachers might be saying. And that they were a good reference thing for, for uh, one particular way to live and, and interact with people. But it wasn't the only way. And anybody that was telling me that it was, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. And yet, I believe in a providential move of God between a snowstorm and a late breakfast and sitting at a table with a man that I only had seen on various job sites uh, I ended up hearing this man's testimony. And I did do what I always said that I would do from now on, which was to get up and not listen. I actually was captured by it. Convinced that I needed to read the Gospel of John when I left that place that day. For the first time, I read it with a different set of eyes. And I realized, you know, John... Is passionate about what he's. I don't understand how he could believe it, but he's passionate, you know. And and so at that point, you know, I start looking to find out why these men, especially the the gospels, why these men believed what they were writing. It was obvious they were all passionate about it. I don't think at that point I got past that point of thinking, you know, yeah, I, I'm saying these guys really believe this, but why? I spent the next many months researching, studying, reading. I had a lot of, 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 of influence from a lot of different writers because I didn't know who to read. Right? I wasn't going to any church or anything. I was just go to the book, Christian bookstore, get some books, exchange some labor for in, in two different bookstores uh, for, for credit and, and bought books that way. August 15th, 19... 76, I came to the Lord. At that point, I didn't jump right in and go into the ministry. I had no idea of ever that there was a ministry going to be out there for me. 
That was my next encounter, progression, as we go along. I had met Jesus as my personal Savior. Now, I had, and I started to get involved in a church. And I started to grow. And a couple of years later, Kathy and I are at a, at a, at a conference uh, that our pastor had asked us to go to, more than anything about leadership in the church, wanting to help prepare me and, and lead me in that direction. We walked away, with an, uh, both of us, with a conviction coming from the Lord, I'm confident, that God wanted us to go to, to Bible college. So much so that we defied, I think, everybody's advice, including a number of Christians, because Kathy uh, got pregnant during that time. In fact, when we moved, she was nine months pregnant. We moved on Labor Day. She had been in false labor, <laughs> you know. Uh, and everybody telling us it was, we were, you know, a lot of people in our families and, and even some Christian friends telling us that this didn't make sense. But God had convinced us, convicted us. We had gone to the, another level of our relationship and our commitment. While we were there, we grew in that. And then the next thing you know, which was not the intention, we end up in an actual ministry. I'm just suggesting to you that, that this is a more typical way that God works. We, I see here very clearly, John chapter 1. You know, they met Jesus. They were introduced to Jesus. They started to follow Jesus. They started to listen to Jesus. But they were still fishing. They were still in their businesses. A little bit later, we find them in, 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 in Matthew chapter 4, a year down the road. They're still fishing. But Jesus says, I need you to come and, to, and to come with me again. And they left everything immediately and they, they went with him. But it wasn't like they left it permanently because we still find them again a little bit further down the road. Where? On the Sea of Galilee fishing. This time, Jesus performs a miracle that just really opens their eyes on a personal level. That miracle was for them to see who was in control of even the things of nature. And again, they picked up and followed him. But it's not even until later that he actually calls the twelve as the actual disciples. I feel that sometimes we... we I, I was thinking of, of all the, the different men uh, that, that I have looked up to in the ministry, and, 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 and some of them in the lay ministry, but the men that I had looked at and said, you know, that's, that's what I want to be like, kind of, in a sense. But I, I didn't want it, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't even, until I got to be older myself, uh, I didn't even realize how long it had taken them to become the men that I was looking up to. Does that make sense to you? It was a process. Some of you will know some of these names, but, you know, uh, Woody Phillips. I met him when he was in his last years of, of, of being involved as the president of the Bible college that I was going to. And one of the most I don't know how to say it. it just there, He had a simple way about him, but man, he was deep. And another uh, teacher at the Bible College, George Alder. Another one, Dallas, Missouri. Reuben Ratzliff. I can just go down this list of men who all of them were in their 60s plus. And I'm saying, how, did they, how do they know all of this? I want to know all of this. But I'm sitting here in my, my early 30s you know, saying, I want to know all of this now. And I did, you know, and it's one of these things that you don't realize. It's been, a, it's a process. 
You know, the disciples did go through a process of getting to know their Savior. But the neat thing is, is that every time he actually came to them by voice and said, follow me, what did they do? They stopped what they were doing and they followed him. And I realized I can come up to a couple of times in my life where I, Kathy and I, we actually did that. I'm wondering sometimes how many times I've missed. I was looking at this and thinking, uh, what were these men, you know, as they as they left their professions, what were these men going to rest in, and in the sense of their security? Have you ever sat down and thought about that? You know, I, I you know, what is it that that that, that, that you know they, they make their living doing this, and at a point in time they actually leave it completely. Well, I shouldn't say that completely. Because where do we find them in the end of the Gospel of John? Fishing. In fact, Jesus, to identify again the need to, 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 to put it in perspective, says, by the way, if you cast out over here, <laughs> and at that point Peter says, oh, <laughs> I guess who's here? Uh, and it was, you know, Jesus speaking to them after the resurrection. He was speaking to them at the Sea of Galilee while they were fishing. Um, and I was, I, was, I was thinking, what is my tendency? What is man's tendency and the sense of security? And I, I, I've been wrestling with a little bit of this as I've made the transition into Medicare and, and, and a few other things. And my son so... Uh, politely came up to me and says, you realize that when I pay my taxes, I'm paying <laughs> for your, your Medicare. When you collect Social Security, it's my Social Security that's going to be paying yours. You know? And, and uh, I told him to be quiet. No. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he's right. You know, the, what, so what he's saying is, is that where's my security going to be? And I'm thinking, is my security resting in these things? Because if it is, I'm not very smart. And so our worldly convention tends to be in, in a scripture that uh, I, I probably was, should have read earlier, but Psalm 33. And uh, just, just listen uh, to this. Uh, Psalm 33, uh, starting with, uh, uh, let's see, where would be a good place to start? I'll start with verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. man. From where He sits enthroned, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by the great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love, 
that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. At this point, we could talk about spiritual famine as well. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in You. What is the psalmist saying there? Where does man tend to put his hope? In the things of this world. In his armies. Or you know, in his war horse. <laughs> You know, in his fields, you know, the implication goes beyond that. In, in, in whatever he does to be able to get to the next day, the, the labor of his hands. The, the, and is it wrong to be involved in these things and to be diligent in these things? Don't misunderstand. There's a prudent side of that. But if you're putting your hope in those things to carry you through, then you're, you're, you're missing where the real security is. And this is where the disciples were coming to that point. They were realizing their security isn't in their fishing. Can you imagine leaving this amazing catch of fish? The big, this catch of fish was so big that they had to call the other boat over, get a hold of the tow ropes to drag this dragnet in. And this is completely different than what the, they were fishing with in, 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 in Matthew chapter 4. They were, the cast, they were casting their nets. That's something they do from shallow water. How many of you have ever been surf fishing? Anybody here been surf fishing with nets? Okay. You know, you, you're, you're, you're in the water and you're casting your, your small net and trying to trap a few of the fish, you know, and, 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 and catch them that way. In a sense, that's a similar fashion. There are three ways to fish uh, that were common on the Sea of Galilee. Line fishing. Casting net fishing, and then the drag net, which we would be familiar with, like some of our fishing boats even today, cast out the big net and then pull it in. Okay? And this is what they had done. And they couldn't get it in on their own boat. They called the other boat over, their partners, and they come over, and they couldn't even hardly get it in before it started swamping their boats. And it was a catch like they'd never seen. And Jesus says, Follow me. They didn't even go to market with the greatest catch they'd ever had. I just, you know, they were at that point in their time where, you know, they could just see who Christ was and, 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 and realize He's the one. And He said, follow me. And they did. I went on with my list of, of men. Chuck Smith, uh, Don Sheely, uh, you know, uh, Joe Aldrich. I just, men who, who I'd read, seen, and met, and were just amazed by. And when I say Joe Aldrich, I'm thinking of Joe Aldrich Sr., if any of you know the Joe Aldrich Jr. from Mount Loma, because Joe Aldrich Sr., even in his 90s, was still preaching the word like nobody's business. And Bill Jessup, and Bryce Jessup, and other men who just were godly men. And, and, and some of the, the ladies that you can think of that, that as you look around at women who are, are godly women, older women. And now you can even see why it says in the Scripture, older men instructing the young men and older women instructing the young women. Why? Because they have grown. They have progressively gotten closer to the Lord. Their faith is stronger. They can impart more. And these men were coming after Jesus. The call 
didn't happen just boom at once. Jesus embraced them and drew them in into an intimate personal relationship where they had the confidence. When he says, follow me, go for it. I want you to have that same confidence. I want you to have that same confidence. When you hear God calling you to something, you can say, yeah, I can do that because of who he is. He's the one that controls the number of fish you can catch in a net just by his word. Later on, they found he's the one that can calm a storm just by his word. Not just the storm, but the lake, the sea itself, which was raging, became calm. This is the God who's called us, who has saved us, and, and, and drawn us into a relationship with him in such a way that he, he's, he's not pushing it all at once. He, just, he, he draws you in to let you rest in him and to grow in that. And I am so amazed at that because I rest more in him now than I did 30 years ago. And I, 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 in a sense, would so want that for all of you too, to be able to draw into that, to grow into that. Well, the way we do it is just what we're doing here today, worshiping together, teaching together, sharing the word together. Jesus is our hope. He is our shield. I come back to Psalm 33. And that's made the most clear to us at the cross. What an amazing picture of the love of God. God so loved us that He went to the cross. God in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, went to the cross, poured out His blood. The greatest amazement, miracle of all. Put together in such a way that we can see it in His resurrection. We don't have to just kind of hope that it might be okay, that it might be real. People say, well, how can you trust the resurrection? How could you be sure? Because, you know, if you look at it, no matter which way you come at it, you keep coming back to the tomb must have been empty, and it could not have been empty because of the way man thinks or what man could do because of the circumstances surrounding it. And as you study it, look at it, you finally come to that conclusion. It was empty because of a bodily, physical resurrection to prove that death had been defeated Life had been brought, and that he indeed is the light of the world. The light had come into the darkness. It went into, into the area of Galilee, a land of darkness, darker than the other areas. In fact, that's another one of the reasons he went there first on his public ministry. All that we might know him and have eternal life. He is our hope. He is our shield. He is our rest. Resting from our works and resting in His. I think this would be the best time to move into communion. <laughs> and I ask the ushers to come forward. Um, as we pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share it together.
in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, my the world's temptations, when evil seeks to take a hold, I'll cling to my salvation. The riches come and riches go, don't set your heart upon them. The fields of hope in which I sow are harvested
interesting. I was thinking as we were singing that and and then also kind of putting my mind at the, the cross. I kept coming back to the Garden of Gethsemane even after seeing all that they had seen and following Him as they had followed Him. Still, even at that point, they didn't follow Him to the cross. There was something missing that they still didn't have a hold of. And it wasn't enough of seeing it was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced. Because everything changed after the day of Pentecost in the sense of their boldness. In the very city where Jesus was crucified, they went out and boldly preached the Word of God. In the, in the presence of the very men who had taken Jesus to the cross, they were preaching the Word of God. In fact, they were encountered by those men and told to stop, and they didn't. Instead, when they were released, they went back and prayed and came with more boldness. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you confess Jesus Christ, you believe in your heart, He's your, your Savior, that He's gone to the cross for you, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what gives us the confidence to say, I can follow Christ. It's not anything we come up with. It's what He has done. And He purchased it all through His incarnation, through coming in the flesh. And so He could take the bread in that last supper that He shared with the disciples before His crucifixion and say, this is My body that is broken for you. And as He would given thanks and broken it and passed it to them, He asked that they would eat it in remembrance of Him. The sin of man requires a perfect life sacrifice in order for him to come before the throne of God. None of us could bring that because we've all fallen short of his righteousness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus did it for us. And as we confess him, as we believe in him, we can take the cup as he did at the last night. And what he told them was, this is my blood poured out to purchase the covenant of grace, the covenant of salvation. And, and he said, as often as we would drink this, that we would do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. It's an amazing thing to be able to sing the words in a sense of praise and prayer, my Redeemer and my friend, and be referring to the God of all creation as our Savior. But we have that confidence because of what you have done for us, because of the Holy Spirit in us. We have the confidence to come before you and, 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 and say, thank you, Jesus. We know that you are our Redeemer. You have called us your friend as we have received you as our Savior. And we embrace that. We rock with the confidence that we know the hope that is before us in the sense of heaven, the final trumpet, the marriage feast, eternal life. But Lord, give us that ability to even rest all the more in You even now. 
no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what is going on around us, that we could have that confidence, to, that, that, that ability to just say, we know that we know that we know that the God of all creation is our Savior, and as we rest in you, you will you'll never abandon us, you're never late, and we can trust that the God of, of our salvation will see us through anything and take us to the very end of this walk in the flesh and into the walk of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that we can rest with confidence in that. In Jesus' name, amen.